Hello. Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my wife thinks it's weird that I like spam, ketchup, and rice. That was spam coming out of a can. Gross. <laughs> and I'm Jesse, and my wife thinks it's weird that I like to eat salad from a giant serving bowl. <laughs> serving bowl. <laughs> Try it out. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes fast to chat about a theological topic God. and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. Stop. It's fast, God. Stop. So, Conrad, yes, what's going down on this episode? Well, we're talking about stuff, stuff we, we get, get wrong, wrong about, about romance. Stuff we get wrong about romance. Stuff we get wrong about romance. So, here's the deal. We live in a world where we are constantly preached at that romance is the key to finding happiness. And unfortunately, most Christians have actually bought into this romance religion without knowing it. And some of the worst decisions I've seen Christians make over and over is when it comes to their search for romance. Right. So in this episode, we're going over stuff we get wrong about romance. So we don't make some of the common mistakes that hinder us from loving God and loving others more. So Jesse... Would you agree that ultimately people want to be happy? Absolutely. So what are some of the top ways of finding happiness that the world preaches? Enchiladas. (laughs) They're delicious. And they're right. They're right. They make me absolutely happy. What about things like prestige, fame, or relationships? Yeah. And I'd also add money and power. Right. So here's the thing. You'll hear people say that money doesn't buy happiness, but you won't ever hear anyone say that romance or true love doesn't buy happiness. No. And in fact, all you get are movies and TV shows and songs preaching that true love will buy you happiness. And one of everyone's favorite movies, The Princess Bride, is ultimately one long sermon that preaches that romance will buy you happiness and is the only thing that really matters in life. True love. 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 You heard him? True love is the greatest thing in the world. In fact, if you think about it, romance is actually a kind of religion. Because religions and worldviews seek to answer at least two main things. One, what's wrong with the world? And two, what's the solution? So you hear the majority of movies and TV shows and songs preaching what's wrong with the world. Well, it's loneliness and the solution is romance. Right. It has its own liturgy, which Mm -hmm. is music, has its own customs, which are all these traditions, things that we think we need to do Mm -hmm. when we're in love, has all these feelings we're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. It's a whole system. So, of course, Christianity says the problem in the world is what? Sin. And the answer to sin is? Jesus. So, the problem is... Christians have bought into this romance religion. So while we might not say it, we really act like it. So let's first prove why you shouldn't buy into the romance religion. So for one thing, the divorce rate in America is something like 40 to 50%. But the thing is, you're not going to see a whole genre of divorce movies. And part of the appeal of romance in like rom-coms, romantic comedies, Mm -hmm. is that it seems otherworldly. 
Exactly. Like your average romantic comedy and Harry Potter are a lot closer together in terms of the fact that they're both fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, right. And if you really want reality, not fantasy, well, then go to family court and just watch a divorce or child custody hearings. So the romance religion is totally a myth. It's total fantasy. But this religion leads to really dangerous consequences. And weirdly enough, we found this weird game show online that totally illustrates all of this. Welcome to our game show, where if you get the questions right, you win lots of money. If you get them wrong, you get tortured. Welcome to Trivia Torture. I'm your host, Riley McMuckets, and today's contestant is Lester Lemongello. But where are you from, and what do you do? So I'm actually from Cleveland, but I currently Well, that's very nice. So why don't we get started? Whoa, why are you guys strapping me down to this chair? So today's category for today's trivia is the meaning of life. Let's get started. Question number one for $1,000. This is what gives you value in life. A. Romance. B. God. C. Money. Actually, if you think about it, love is a measure of value. Because to love something means you value that thing above everything else. Actually, that's the beauty of what being in love is. It's a place where you're valued, you're more important than everyone else in the whole world. So I think it's pretty clear that what gives you value in life is answer A, romance. Wrong. Lester, are you currently in a romantic relationship? No, actually I'm not, but I don't understand what that has to do with the question at all. If a romantic relationship is what gives you value then without that relationship, you are ultimately saying that you had no value to begin with. The correct answer is B. God gives us value. God gives you value because He created humans to be special over the rest of the universe by creating us in His image. And on top of that, for Christians, your value is equal to what God paid for you, which is the life of His Son through the crucifixion. And since you got that wrong, you get an electric shock. Hey, did you actually just shock me? I thought that was all just talk. Can I get some help over here? Question number two. For $1,500, what can cause your value to change? A. The love of others. B. Nothing. C. Your reputation. All right. So, love is an expression of how much you value something or somebody else, right? So, of course, when someone loves you more... That means that they're going to value you more. So, of course, your value goes up if they love you more. So, I'm going A, the love of others, final answer. Wrong. If the love of others could cause your value to change, then your value changes minute to minute depending on others' moods and opinion of you. It would also mean if they left or died, your value would leave with them, leaving you with no value. The correct answer is B. Nothing can change your value. Your value cannot change because your value is given to you by God and not by people. So because your value is given to you by God, your value stays the same no matter what others think of you and more importantly, what you think of yourself. And because you got that wrong, you will get stung by this Amazon red scorpion. What? Wait, what's in the box that guy has? 
What's in the box? No, 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 no. No, that's, that's an actual scorpion. It's on my... Ah, that hurts. Oh, it's in my shirt now. What kind of game is this? How come I'm getting... I'm getting my... Ah, I'm getting my lawyer. I'm calling my... Ah! Question number three. For $5,000, what is the source of happiness? A, a loving relationship. B, God. C, money. I don't like this game. But this is for five grand. And this one's pretty obvious. So people are definitely happier when they're in a relationship. Single people are really unhappy. They complain all the time about it. So that means that a relationship with true love has got to be the source of some happiness. I'm going with A, loving relationship. Wrong. If a loving relationship is truly the source of happiness, then no unmarried person could ever be happy. And furthermore, if you were married, you could only be happy if your marriage is happy. The correct answer is B, God. The source of all happiness is God's love. This is because our souls were created to be powered by the love of God. So when we separate ourselves from God's love through sin or lack of faith, it is our souls that suffer, and that is the root cause of unhappiness. And since you got that wrong, we're going to drop this cup of fire ants on your head. Fire ants? Are you no get get that out of here? Get that Ah! Oh it burns! It burns so bad! What what is this cannot be even legal? Where's Regis? Where is somebody help me right now? Ah oh, now the ants are making the scorpion mad! He's singing again! Question number four for ten thousand dollars. What does a successful marriage look like? A two people putting each other first. B becoming more like Christ. C the notebook. $10,000. So here's what I know, Riley. A marriage can't work unless you put the other person first. I mean, the whole point of marriage is to make the other person happy. And you can't make somebody else happy if you're just focused on yourself. You've got to put them first. So a successful marriage is definitely answer A. Wrong. If a successful marriage was about putting the other person first, then marriage would simply be about trying to fulfill your spouse's desires, whether good or bad. Marriage would ultimately be a selfish, inward-facing form of entertainment and idolatry. The correct answer is B. A successful and biblical marriage is a God-focused union where two people help each other become more like Christ. That's because when we're more like Christ, we can better fulfill our God-given purpose, which is to love God and others more, and help others to love God and others more. And because you got that wrong, we're going to show you clips from Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Hey God! What are Misa saying? No, 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 I beg of you. Bring back the That's a good trick. Make it stop! Are you an angel? Make it stop! Oh no, not the midichlorian clip. Please, anything but this. Not the midichlorian clip. What are midichlorians? No! Midichlorians are microscopic life form that resides within all living They don't. They don't. They live inside. No, they don't. Make it stop. Ah, good. You are still conscious, unlike some of our previous contestants. Question number five. For $25,000. $25,000? Yes. What is the solution to your problems? 
A. A loving relationship. B. Christ. C. Money. Okay, $25,000. So here's the thing, Riley. I mean, the world is tough, but if you have somebody who's with you, somebody who loves you, love makes everything better. Love makes life way more awesome. And so if you want to get not only get through life, but have a really good life, then what you need is A, a loving relationship. Wrong. Come on! So if romance was the solution to your problems, it is a very selfish solution because it only addresses your loneliness and completely ignores evil, injustice, and suffering in the world. The correct answer is B, Christ. The root problem in the world is sin. It is our sin that produces evil, injustice, suffering, and unhappiness. And the only way to address sin is faith in Christ, which frees us from the slavery of sin so that we can start addressing sin within our own lives. And since you got that wrong, we're going to play a clip of a so-called sermon from the most famous health and wealth preacher alive today, the wealthy prosperity gospel mega preacher, Not Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. No. Sometimes we're waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. Why is God waiting on Why don't me? you start calling oh, out those promises so He's put in you? What is he talking about? You don't have about? the funds you need? Spring up abundance. Spring up promotion. Spring up promotion. Spring up opportunity. This can't even be You've real. You've been single a long time. Yeah, I've been single. Believing for a spouse. Yes. Spring up, oh good looking husband. Make it stop. Make it Final stop. question for $50,000. Everyone is going to die. So does it ultimately matter if you are in love? I got this $50,000. Okay, obviously, yes, of course. How can you even say that you've had a meaningful life if it wasn't fulfilled with true love? So yes, it absolutely matters if you had love. Wrong. If that were true, then the meaning of life ends up being survival with the least amount of suffering. But in fact, after our deaths, everyone will stand before God. And at this point, it will not ultimately matter if you found true romance. What will matter is if you had faith in Christ. So what matters in this life is living out your faith by loving God and others as Christ does. And because you got that wrong, we're going to put these headphones on you and force you to listen to these classic historical hymns that have been updated with corny modern choruses. What? Is this Amazing Grace? No, wait, there's an extra chorus in there. It's amazing, Grace. The lyrics were already amazing. The chorus is just trite and corny. Make it stop. We hope you enjoyed Make our show. Stop. I'm Make your host, Riley McBucket. Thank you for joining us on Trivia Torture. <laughs> What's Amisa saying? <laughs> <laughs> so if you think about it deep down, everyone is just looking for happiness. But the thing is, without knowing it, people are actually asking the biggest question you can ask, which is, what is the meaning of life? And what they've done is answered that question with romance. Romance is the meaning of life. So to recap from the game show, we listed the top six reasons why romance is a terrible answer to what is the meaning of life and why it leads to so many broken marriages and families. So the first one is a big one. The romance religion says you have no inherent value. So first off, it doesn't give you a basis of self-worth, of human worth. 
It also admits that you don't have worth because it says, oh, you feel worthless now, so you need to be in a relationship. Exactly, because if you're trusting in somebody else who loves you to claim that you're valuable, then all of your value is dependent on that person. Exactly. The second one is your value changes along with someone else's opinion of you. Right. So if you find your value from someone loving you, then the more they love you, the more value you have. And vice versa, the less they love you, the less value you have. So your value is completely dependent on someone else's current opinion of you. Right. So number three, your happiness now is tied to the relationship. If all your value is in whether or not somebody else loves you, if all your value is tied to their opinion of you, then of course your emotional state is also going to be invested in the same way. So if you are happy, it will be because the relationship is good. Mm -hmm. And likely if you don't feel happy, it's because you don't have a relationship or because it's going poorly. Exactly. Number four, marriage is ultimately a way to reduce suffering till you die. Right. Because marriage does nothing to deal with the problems of the world. And it assumes that those problems will still be there. So marriage ultimately just becomes about entertaining and distracting each other from the suffering of the world until you die. Right. Which brings us to number five. It doesn't solve the root problem of what's wrong with the world, which is sin, along with what results from sin, which is evil, injustice, and suffering. And because we all have sin, we bring that sin into our relationships. This is one of those things that seems plain, but isn't always obvious because as people who are sinful, that means we carry that baggage and sin into our relationship. So expecting that the relationship is going to solve the problem or that a romantic relationship in particular is going to make everything better is just not true when we both are sinful people. Right. Which brings us to the last reason why you shouldn't put your faith in romance. Everyone here is going to die. Right. <laughs> and guess what? When we stand before God to give an account for our lives, he's not going to ask you if you were in love. And that's something that the Bible is really outspoken about. And even Jesus himself addresses that romance in the way that we're speaking about it is temporal. Mm -hmm. So to make it something other than it's not by making it kind of the grand sensibility of the universe. And then it extends that old Celine Dion song, my heart will go on. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's going to stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so also will all your romantic feelings. Yeah. So songs and movies and everything, they do a great job of romanticizing romance. Right. <laughs> and unfortunately, the vast majority of Christians fall for the romance religion. They put their faith in romance rather than God, and they find their meaning in a relationship with a sinner rather than the relationship with the perfect God. So Christians end up falling for the romance religion really hard. So hard. And this happens because our sin separates us from God. And because of our sin, we don't feel like God is enough for us, enough to make us happy. But here's the thing about happiness and how God designed us to find happiness. God designed our souls to find its joy in Him. So if like your soul was a car that God built, the gas for your soul would actually be the love of God. Right. And on top of that, since God also created us to be in fellowship with his children, you can say that ultimately God created us with this meaning, to love and be loved in the family of God. And here's one of the places where we get that twisted. 
we sometimes think that marriage was created to meet our needs and that our spouse is supposed to bring us the fulfillment that really only God can provide. So when we make our spouse God, we're putting not only this unfair burden on them, but we're robbing God of his rightful place as the one who brings us satisfaction and joy and contentment. And marriage was meant to explain something to us about God. It was given for us to be holy, not for us to be happy. Exactly. And if you place that burden on your spouse, I can guarantee that you're going to be disappointed because they're a sinner just like you and they're going to let you down. Let God be God even in your relationship, not your spouse. So where does marriage fit in? So God's personal goal for all of us is to be more like Christ. Right. Let's call that the North Pole. That is God's destination for us. That's where God wants us to go in this life. So every day we're supposed to travel a little bit further north, but there are also other people and we're supposed to help these other people travel north towards Christ as well. And this is what ministry is. So we can do this better when we team up with other people who are traveling north, such as our family, church, or community. And with these travelers, we might find a personal connection with an individual and decide that we could team up with them in marriage. So, um, so marriage is a team of northbound travelers that also help other people travel north. Right on. So here's the big point in all of this. This is what marriage is. Marriage is two people helping each other to be more like Christ and at the same time helping others to be more like Christ. So marriage ultimately is partners in ministry. Marriage is partners in ministry. So when a couple places their faith in romance, it is a self-centered thing. But God created marriage to be a Christ-centered thing. And here's actually the trick to a successful marriage. So when two people are trying to be more like Christ, that means that they are adopting his traits more. And Christ's traits include the fruit of the Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, humility. All these traits are good things that will help your relationship. So the more Christ-like you are, a byproduct of that is you are simply a better person. And if the other person is becoming more Christ-like as well, that means that your marriage is going to benefit from it as well. This is a matter of completely changing our perspective when we think about marriage and when we approach it, either if we're already married or if we're looking to possibly find a partner. Because most of the time, we all engage in those relationships from the beginning thinking, I want to do something that's going to make me feel fulfilled and happy Mm -hmm. rather than I want to participate in God's plan for my life. And that may or may not involve marriage. But when romance clouds biblical stewardship, then we run into problems where in our sinful behavior, we end up destroying our marriages rather than using them for God's glory and for our good. Right. So now we're going to switch gears and we're going to go over the top ways that you can tell that Christians are putting their faith in romance. Let's hear it. One of the common things I see is when you see somebody going through a breakup, you'll hear a Christian say, oh, you'll find somebody else. There's other fish in the sea. Right. So if you say something like that, you have just told them that the solution to their problem isn't God, but it's another sinful human being. And you just promoted idolatry. Right. There's also another way that Christians fall into this romantic religion thing. And that's where we get the sense that we need to pray for a spouse and that there's something particularly holy about that process. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, this is a case where you take something good like marriage and you make it an idol. 
Because ultimately, the reason why you're praying to find a spouse is because you're lonely. Right. And you're saying that God isn't good enough for you. He's not enough to give you joy. So instead of seeking joy in your relationship with God, you're actually praying for his replacement. So instead, we should be counting it all joy in all situations, including singleness. Another thing you'll hear Christians say that gives away that they're putting their faith in romance is, my marriage isn't making me happy. Right. And like we said earlier, the source of happiness for our souls is God's love, not marriage. So we take that joy and happiness from God's love and we bring that into the marriage. Yeah, another place I think we sometimes see the romance religion taking hold in Christian culture is this idea that I really want to be with somebody. And as long as they're a good person, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter if they're Christian or not. Right. And this is actually an easy one to address because the Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. And he Mm -hmm. uses this yoke that you might put on an oxen or some other cattle. This is kind of like running one of those like three-legged races, like it is like a kid. Yeah. You're going to be tied together both figuratively and literally. Mm -hmm. And it's as if you both can't agree on which direction to run. Right. And if Christians are going north towards Christ and your spouse isn't going there, it just makes it harder for you to go north. So another way that I see Christians buying into romance religion is they are completely impatient. Big time. They have to be in a relationship now or they have to get married sooner rather than later. Right. One of those ways is how many people have you run across where part of the reason why they really want to go to a Christian college is because they know (laughs) it's like a reservoir of like potential mates just hanging out, waiting for you to get in the mix. Right. And another way Christians are impatient about marriage is when Christians simply fall into premarital sex. I need to find emotional happiness now. And the thing is like, you know, that the physical stuff is powerful and it is, you know, it is huge and God intended it that way, you know, for in marriage. Exactly. Sometimes it's a way of advancing our emotional connectivity in a way that we think is going to be helpful, but all it does is just bring a different type of baggage with a greater intensity to the relationship. Right. And so this is one of those areas, again, where God is trying to warn us. He wants what is best for us because he loves us. In fact, this also means if you've been in a relationship where you've engaged in premarital sex, it doesn't mean that God loves you any less. In fact, God loves us so much that in the giving of his son, he's given us a way to receive forgiveness for all things. Right. So this all brings us to the application part. So if you're single and you want to avoid buying into the world's romance religion, you mainly need to see if you're trying to replace God with a sinner. So a good test to see if you're trying to replace God is just ask yourself, am I lonely? Because loneliness shows we haven't found our true joy in God. Right. So to find that joy, work on your relationship with God through things like devotions, Bible studies, podcasts, church, worship, and prayer. And pray, God, I want to find my joy in you alone. Please help me get there. And once you find contentment and peace in singleness with just you and God, that actually shows there's a good chance you're spiritually mature enough to not make a dating relationship an idol. Right. So now when you're living life in this contentment and you're still open to dating, you need to know what makes a good candidate in marriage. And the simplest way to sum this up is, A good spouse is a partner in ministry because a partner in ministry assumes three main things. One, that person is a Christian. Two, that person is a spiritually mature Christian who is already working on becoming more like Christ and also won't immediately make the relationship into an idol. 
And then three, it also assumes that there is some type of chemistry between the two of you where you can help each other be more like Christ. This helps keep your marriage to be Christ-focused. It also results in a stronger marriage because Christ-likeness makes for a better spouse. Right. So if you're already dating somebody, keep those three things in mind and start making your relationship more Christ-focused. Start with simple things like praying before meals together and making sure that you're praying for one another and think how you can make each other become better people, not just spiritually, but all areas of life as well, such as like their health. And if you're married, a lot of this still follows. Find joy for your soul in God alone. And this frees your spouse from the ridiculous burden of trying to be your God. Right. And when you both are finding your primary joy in God alone, you then bring that joy into your marriage, resulting in a more joyous marriage. Also, see yourself and your spouse as they truly are, as sinners, as sinners who need Christ. So in conclusion, what do we get wrong about romance? Someone who is married with kids cannot be any happier than someone who is single. Because, Christ says in John 15, our joy comes from God's love alone. So yes, a spouse and kids are a gift, but they come hand in hand with difficulties because everyone is a sinner. 1 Corinthians 7 says singleness is also a gift where one is unencumbered by the difficulties of marriage and kids, and they can focus their time and resources solely on the work of God. So marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. So ask yourself, are you trying to find true joy in God's love or are you trying to manufacture a false joy through romance with a sinner? Well, Conrad, unfortunately, that is all of the romance we have time for today. That's too bad. But tell a friend about this episode and remember to subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast. And please check out FastGodStuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you survive Star Wars Episode 1. <laughs> Until next time, love God. Love others. That's it! it.